Birkbeck Voices. My name is Louisa Ackerman and today I'm talking to Daniel Monk from Birkbeck School of Law about his research into siblings and the law. He is currently undertaking the first UK study looking at the nature of the law in sibling relationships and will be discussing this further at a free lecture on 5th of July 2017 as part of Birkbeck's Big Ideas series. We will link to the details of this in, in the description of the podcast if you're interested in hearing more or asking Daniel any questions yourself. So Daniel, what does the Lord have to say about brothers and sisters? Well, on the surface, it says very little about brothers and sisters. Um, and that's what kind of caught my interest in the subject, because if you study family law, um, you pick up any family law textbook, you'd never see a chapter about siblings. And if you look siblings up in the index, you rarely see any references to them at all. So I thought that practically there wasn't anything, because law's focus is primarily on the parent-child relationship and on spouses' relationships. But if you dig the surface a little bit, it's surprising how much there is actually about brothers and sisters. And I think that probably comes as a surprise to a lot of people, because I think a lot of people would be accepting of the fact that the law has lots to say about the parent-child relationship and between husbands and wives, but probably doesn't want the law to have too much to say about brothers and sisters. But if you do, as I say, scratch the surface and hunt around a bit, there suddenly seems to be lots of law about brothers and sisters. Um, and in some ways it seems to say, the law seems to be saying you shouldn't be too close to your brothers and sisters, but you should care for them. So you certainly shouldn't marry them and you certainly shouldn't have sex with them. But um, in terms of mental health law, in terms of housing law, in terms of some guardianship law, there's an expectation that siblings are people you should be able to sort of count on a little bit, or rather they have a particular status that's protected in law. There's also a whole area of law where the law seems to suggest that the brother-sister relationship might mask or cover up dodgy financial dealings. And I think there's a bit of legacy there about the idea of family economies being quite strong. So for example, curiously, and this came as quite a surprise to me, the first in-force statutory reference to the word sibling was actually in the Breeding of the Dogs Act from 1968. And I thought, you know, what on earth has breeding of dogs got to do with brothers and sisters? And basically what the law is trying to do is to regulate the breeding of dogs. And if in regulating it, you think you can hide from the regulation by getting your brother and sister to do a little bit of the breeding of the dogs, um, that in law is treated as part of your own breeding of the dogs so it can still be regulated. So it's the idea that, well, if you shunt off a little bit of your business to your brother and sisters, the tax officials and the regulators and all sorts of legal forms will treat that as part of your own dealing. So there's an idea, as I said before, an idea of family business going on, which enables the law to look at the whole family economy and not just as individuals. And I think that probably is quite a historical model which would have been extremely prevalent in the past when indeed economies, social and family economies, were much broader, but it's probably less likely now, although of course family businesses do exist. And there's lots of tax references as well to so avoid you using your brothers and sisters as a way of avoiding tax. Um, in medical law, there's quite a lot of references to siblings as well. So you've got the famous conjoined twins case where two twins are born joined together and can they be separated and in artificial insemination by donor there's quite a lot of law about um, finding out about who might be your genetic sibling even though you've never met them and again that's to try and prevent people having sex later in life 
so they actually can avoid these people. And then more recently there's the uh, controversial practice, what's called saviour sibling, where people, adult parents, are having another child and intentionally they want to have a boy or a girl to ensure that that new sibling will be able to help treat the illness of an existing sibling. So it's called saviour sibling. And that's another particular medical law context. There's a book about that by Jodie Pico um, and my sister's key friend of film now, I think, as well. That's right, that's right, yeah. I mean, what got me interested in the subject in the first place was I used to do some research on inheritance law. And I kept coming across lots of cases, which predictably enough, you see a lot of brothers and sisters arguing with each other in the courts around inheritance. So one elderly lady, she leaves her estate to one child and not the other children. And then the other kids come up and turn up and they say, oh, she didn't really mean to, she was suffering for dementia or she was under undue influence. That sibling wrote the will for her and made her sign it. And there's increasing number of case law where siblings are fighting each other in the courts particularly half-siblings fighting other half-siblings. And I think that leads on to another difficult question when you look at siblings in the law is, what actually is a sibling? Because it's not easy actually to define a sibling. It can be full or half or social siblings or step-siblings or adopted siblings. Siblings come in all sorts of forms and law sometimes tries to define them and sometimes leaves it very open. You mentioned at the beginning that there are lots of areas where siblings aren't mentioned in the law. Have you got any examples of where that's been a problem historically? Where they haven't been mentioned. Where they haven't been mentioned and it's kind of been left for whatever judge or whoever to figure out how, how something could be resolved. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily caused problems by them not being there because a sibling where they're not being referred to as a sibling still has an individual status. So they can often make claims as an individual. It's a very curious relationship. Law doesn't want to dictate too much about siblings and I think that's understandable. In Switzerland, for example, just to give an example of something very, very different that my students will get outraged by, in Switzerland, um, siblings can be required to care for their other siblings if their siblings fall on hard times. So, for example, we've got something called the Child Support Act in, in England where parents or absent parents can be made to support their children. If, in effect, in Switzerland they have the system where, you know, if your brother goes off and does something and then needs some money later, right the way throughout your life, you're obliged by law to care for your siblings. Now, my students always find that outrageous. <laughs> but, in, but in different kinship structures and in different models, that wouldn't be treated as something that would be seen as so problematic at all. But I don't think there's any plans for uh, government to introduce op increasing obligations on siblings. But, of course, people will feel personal moral obligations towards siblings and that can be quite complicated in practice sometimes. One of the things we talked about earlier was about, um, I think it was two sisters and they lived together, not romantically, but mm. as partners and one of them yes. wanted a tax break from leaving her Yes, the her. burden case. Yeah, That's probably one of the most high, high profile sibling cases in English law. That case came about after the Civil Partnership Act was passed. And these two elderly women, these sisters who had lived together for a considerable amount of time, felt that it was unfair that on the death of one of them, the surviving sister would have to pay a substantial amount of inheritance tax, which would require them to sell the home they'd been living in for a long time to, in order to pay the tax bill. 
And why it was related to the Civil Partnership Act was because they're saying if they were two lesbians um, who had entered into a Civil Partnership Act, there would be no inheritance tax at all. So there are these two sisters who have lived together for a long period of time, over 25 years, contrasting with a lesbian couple that might have just lived with each other for a year. The lesbian couple pays no inheritance tax whatsoever on the death of the one, and the siblings, the sisters, don't. Now, some people felt that this was raised as a way of attacking lesbian gay rights, but arguably, and a lot of people who support lesbian gay rights saw the, saw the strength of their argument and felt that what law should be looking at isn't trying to look at the status of a relationship, but should actually look at who's sharing a home with somebody else. You know, why give rights to people who have a conjugal romantic relationship but not to people who happen just to have shared a home together in a platonic way. Why privilege the former over the latter? Did anything change as a No, they lost their case. They lost the case. It wasn't felt unreasonable. And I think in most European countries it will be very rare for siblings to have those sorts of protections. Am I right in thinking you're about halfway through your research project now? Oh, no, just scratch the surface at the beginning okay. of it. Uh, the particular work that I'm focusing on um, is on the position of brothers and sisters in the public care system. So it's child siblings, which is unlike the inheritance law, which is basically adult siblings fighting each other. It's child siblings who are in the public care system. So children who have been taken into care by local authorities, maybe living with a foster parent, or may have been adopted or about to be adopted. And in the last decade or so, the courts have begun to place more emphasis on the importance of those brothers and sisters having contact with each other and somehow there's the idea that law should play a role in in assisting them in keeping a relationship alive so even though law both in statute and in some of the senior top cases has said it's an important relationship that should be taken into account in practice it's very hard because in practice most brothers and sisters in the child protection system don't have contact with each other Sometimes they will not even know of each other's existence. So, for example, one child is adopted, then a couple of years later, um, the birth mother of the child that's been adopted has another child, or more than one other child, and they are also subsequently adopted or taken into care, or possibly they might remain with the birth mother. There's no uh, assurance that those siblings will actually know of each other's existence necessarily. And that raises problems. So it can also be quite problematic if one child has been adopted and then another child is actually living with the birth family, how to keep that relationship alive, how to actually communicate to the child living with the birth family that even though one they were adopted, the other child was kept. Mm -hmm. And there may have been very good reasons for a child to have been adopted. Um, but then a few years later there may be reasons why a birth mother is able to hold, keep hold of her child. And that can be quite complicated, that's a very yeah, complicated situation. Um, what often happens in some of these cases is that the courts are required to make very difficult assessments about what they define as being good or bad sibling attachment. So in some cases you can see the judges talking about siblings playing with each other and they paint it in quite rosy way. 
when you know a half sibling meets another half sibling who's also been fostered or adopted. But then sometimes they painted in a very negative way. So for example, saying a much older sibling was shoplifting and it was a bad influence on the child. Um, but that begs the question, what is a healthy sibling relationship? What norm are we judging it against? And of course, a lot of the psychoanalytical literature and sociological literature, which there isn't much of it, but it's emerging around siblings, always highlights the fact that the sibling relationship is inherently one that can be quite violent, difficult, abrasive, and troublesome relationship, as well as a loving relationship. So what does a good sibling relationship look like? And how can judges evaluate that? I think that's quite a difficult task. Yeah, I'm sure it is. Have you identified any areas where you might make recommendations as a result so far? No, and I think one of the reasons why we're probably going to be quite cautious about m making recommendations is because I think it can be too easy to rush to create a rights claim. So there's a grandfather's rights movement and there's a, a grandparents' rights movement rather and a very famously a father's rights movement. And I'm not sure it's necessarily a good or advisable thing to create a siblings' rights movement because that frames the subject in a legal claim way that might not be appropriate because the relationship is so inherently complicated. Uh, trying to lay down recommendations that actually are going to be appropriate for every sibling relationship is very difficult. But I think, at the very least, being cautious, it might be possible to make recommendations that at least keep the door open to the possibility that adults can, when they, in later in life, can develop a sibling relationship of the form that they want. You know, most people develop the sibling relationships they do for a kind of messiness. You know, family life is quite messy and sibling relationships are quite messy. And I don't think law should try and make that tidy. But perhaps it can at least provide siblings with the, in the public care system, at least with the possibility of having their own messy relationships with their siblings, whatever that will be. Thank you very much for joining Birkbeck Voices today. I look forward to hearing more at your lecture. Thank you very much. <laughs>